masters of their fates. So Cassius tells Brutus in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. The fault, he says, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. I would say also that our fate lies not in our genes, but in ourselves. Humans have believed in some form of divination since early times, whether it is the belief that our fate lies in the stars or in some form of mythical entity. Since the dawn of civilization, we have sought explanation for our existence and the events that affect us. This is more than simply curiosity. We depend on our wits. We have applied judgment, reason, comprehension, our acumen, wit, sense and insight to understand the world and our place within it. We are intelligent, yet it is part of our wit to invent explanation where none is readily available, or even where none is necessary. The idea of destiny and fate is a strong thread running through the weft of our cultural psyche. It is the strength of superstition, the idea that something beyond understanding maps our path or creates our destiny. We tell stories as a way of interpreting and gaining insight into the world about us and also into human nature. Literature and art are part of our cultural intelligence and a key to understanding ourselves. In art, we explore both the possible and the impossible, and we can pass on this understanding across generations. The gene-centred view of what makes us who we are reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. It is as if we have been taken and are controlled by demons within us. In this view, we are lumbering robots doing the bidding of our genes. Or as Richard Dawkins puts it in his book, The Selfish Gene, quote, Now they swarm in huge colonies, safe inside gigantic lumbering robots, sealed off from the outside world, communicating with it by tortuous indirect routes, manipulating it by remote control. They are in you and in me. They created us, body and mind, and their preservation is the ultimate rationale for our existence. End quote. It is beautiful prose, and as I write, I wonder whether my genes have any control over my lifting my fingers as they dance on the keyboard or over the thoughts behind my words. They are strange beasts, these genes, that allow me to doubt their power. Dawkins, in this passage, substitutes what he later called the God delusion with yet another myth, the myth that we are controlled by genes. This is what I call, or would call, the gene delusion. When I left school, one of my teachers said he had no doubt I would, quote, make my way in the world, quote, I think he used the phrase, he will plough his own furrow. It turns out he was right. We have freedom of will. 
a will constrained rather than determined by circumstance. Often, with ingenuity and knowledge, we can understand the nature of our circumstance and overcome constraints. We can solve problems and go where others have not. We each tread new paths. In the grand scheme of things, we may consider our actions to be minuscule, a pebble on the beach at the mercy of the tide. Yet we can, and we do, make decisions. And the choices we make have consequence for others and ourselves. Our choices may be different, even if our genes are the same. Genes do not make choices. Simply put, intelligence might be said to be our ability to acquire and apply knowledge and understanding to solving problems. But it is more. Intelligence comes in a variety of forms. It is a complex of facets. It is multidimensional. It is organisational rather than uniquely located in our brains. We can be intelligent in different ways. We each also excel in different ways. Even within a family, we may find siblings markedly different in their abilities. We often refer to people being gifted, as if there is a unique, a uniqueness endowed upon them. Sometimes it expresses itself in remarkable ways. Mozart wrote his first symphony at the age of eight. So in relation to ability and intellect, are we hardwired at birth or are we moulded in development? Are the brains of those we regard as highly intelligent or gifted specifically different? Are our brains wired differently? And if so, then what is it that makes this difference? Is it genetic or is it our environment? This question is often posed as a dichotomy between nature or nurture. But it is a false dichotomy. Nurture is fundamentally a part of nature. Much of human development occurs after birth and requires interaction with others and with our environment. This is why it is impossible to ascribe our intellect to our genes. At best, it is only part of the answer. A group of scientists have been studying the pickled brain of Einstein to see if they can find what was exceptional about it, something that could have given him his extraordinary intellect. I cannot think of a more potentially fruitless scientific endeavour, not because it isn't interesting, but because we will never be sure what we find. Even supposing they did find something odd about his brain, it is difficult to see how they could now associate this with his intelligence. They might find, for example, that a particular part of his brain was proportionately larger or smaller, but to conclude that this gave him his extraordinary insight would remain pure speculation. Nevertheless, something intriguing has been found. Back in 1999, it was reported in The Lancet that a unique morphological feature had been found in Albert Einstein's brain. 
The surface of our brains is folded into bumps and grooves. A bump is called a gyrish, a groove, a sulcus or fissure. These hills and valleys of the brain can be clearly identified and given distinct names. And it was in these hills and valleys that an unusual feature was found in the lateral or parietal surface of each hemisphere of Einstein's brain. Two grooves that were normally separated were found to be joined together. In anatomical language, the posterior ascending branch of one groove, called the sylvian fissure, was joined or contiguous with another, the postcentral sulcus. Two valleys, as it were, were merged rather than separate, as in most human brains. The distinctive feature normally separating them, the parietal operculum, was missing. Now, it so happens that this part of the brain is known to be important in visuospatial understanding. It plays a role in three-dimensional calculation, mathematical thought and imagery of movement. But what is more intriguing is that these are the attributes Einstein himself associated with his scientific thinking. He says, The words or the language as they are written or spoken, do not seem to play any role in my mechanism of thought. The psychical entities which seem to serve as elements in thought are certain signs and more or less clear images which can be voluntarily reproduced and combined. End quote. Einstein, it seems, worked in images rather than in words. The authors of the report rightly add a caveat that the study cannot conclude that this provides us with a neuroanatomical substrate for intelligence. Indeed, it is difficult to see how it could be demonstrated other than using modern techniques of MRI to visualise the function of the brain during known tasks. It may say little more than the fact that Anatomy is associated with ability. Anatomical features in the brain may influence certain kinds of intellectual ability. Intellect covers a host of facets. So, is intelligence genetic? At one time it was thought that the bulk of intelligence was inherited, but the idea of finding a gene for intelligence was abandoned a long time ago. There is no clear direct relationship between a specific gene or a set of genes and measured intelligence. It is now considered that only between 20 and 40% of measured intelligence can be associated with groups of genes. Most of our intelligence is nurtured rather than hardwired. Yet, even those studies that find 20% association with genes are greeted with headlines that tell us it's all in the genes. Nothing could be further from the truth. More than 60% is clearly not in the genes. This should be no surprise, because most of human brain development occurs after birth. 
It requires interaction with the environment. The billions of neural connections in the human brain require honing by sensory input. And by the development of motor skills, similarly, it requires engagement with the environment. Most of the facets of intelligence would have little or no correlation with gross anatomy. My computer is physically similar to any other of its type, but it is programmed to do different things. Any differences in how these programs work is determined by their logic. But how fast it works and what kinds of elements depends to a large extent on bits of its anatomy, such as the sound card or video card or on its storage space and how this is organised. I'd rather think that there really wasn't that much extraordinary in Einstein's ability. A genius, yes, but certainly human. His thinking wasn't magic. It was unique in the sense that he was Albert Einstein. But you can make of that what you want. (laughs) 